We are going to be continuing in Mark's gospel today. Our text will be Mark 7, 24 to 30. Mark 7, 24 to 30. Here we will read about the remarkable faith of a Syrophoenician woman. Mark 7, 24 through 30. Why don't we uh, stand together? Uh, as we read God's Word this morning. Hear then God's holy and inspired Word. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet He could not keep His presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about Him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. As far the reading of God's own word, let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Grateful that you have revealed yourself to us in it. And Lord, we know that it is, once again, by Your Word that You do Your work in the lives of Your people. And so it is our prayer, it is our desire that through Your Word this morning, You would do Your work in our lives. Open our eyes to things unseen. Open our minds to things unknown. Open our hearts to new realities of Your grace in Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Congregation of our Lord and Savior, occasionally in the Gospels, or throughout the Bible for that matter, we meet people of remarkable faith who sort of just rise head and shoulders above the rest in their understanding of and belief in Jesus. And when we, when we come across these people, we ought to understand that God is sort of holding them up before us in order that He might say, do you see this person? Do you see her faith? Do you see how she applies herself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this is, this is what I want from you. This is what I want from, from you. We, we come across one of these people of great faith in our text this morning. We read in verse 24 that Jesus left that place, where exactly that place is He left from, we're not sure. He was in Galilee, we assume He left Galilee. Capernaum was His kind of 
headquarters, so that's probably where he was, but he, he left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. Tyre is located about 20 miles north and west of Galilee along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, this, isn't, this isn't the first time we read about Tyre in the Bible. Uh, in 1 Chronicles 14, we read about Hiram, king of Tyre, who had formed an alliance with David and would send David cedar logs and stonemasons and carpenters to build David's palace. So David and Solomon both had a good relationship with the kings of Tyre. Tyre was also the home of, of the wicked queen Jezebel, right? If you remember her from uh, the days of Elijah, I don't like to say that because it makes me think of the song and I want to start dancing, but you know, the time of Elijah when wicked queen Jezebel was, was in charge and she led Israel astray. Tyre's also the subject of Old Testament prophecy. Uh, in Psalm 87.4, we read that Tyre is among the nations who will in the future honor the Lord. And no doubt we're seeing some of the fulfillment of that prophecy here in our text this morning. Now, in Jesus' day, uh, Tyre was a hotbed of paganism, and it was also known for its hostilities towards the Jews in Israel. In fact, the first century Jewish historian Josephus said that the inhabitants of Tyre were notoriously our bitterest enemies, right? So there was this rivalry that existed between uh, the people of Tyre and the Jews in Israel. But this is, this is where Jesus goes in our text. And the, the fact that he goes here is noteworthy because this is the only time in Jesus' public ministry that we read about him going outside the historical geographical boundaries of Israel. When he's a child, we read about him and his family fleeing to Egypt, but this is, this is the only time in his public ministry when he leaves Israel. And in this, no doubt, we are seeing a preview of what would happen after Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Spirit, and the gospel would go to the nations. In this, we're, we're seeing a preview of the fact that although Jesus came first and foremost for the people of Israel, He did not come only for the people of Israel. So Jesus, He, he went to Tyre, and we're told that He entered a house and did not want anyone to know about it. And from that detail, we can infer that Jesus went to Tyre uh, for rest. He went to Tyre to escape the pressure of the crowds in Galilee, even more, I'm sure he went there to escape the mounting opposition from the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember in the previous passage, the Pharisees, again, are, they're after him. They've been sent to spy him out and to question how he's going about things. And so that, that pressure is mounting, and Jesus here, again, fully human, right, needs to escape for rest. And so he, he goes to Tyre. What happened? Well, even in Tyre, he couldn't keep his presence a secret. No, his reputation preceded him. Word got out that Jesus was in town, and a certain woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit heard about him. 
And Mark tells us that this woman, she came and she fell at Jesus' feet. Mark then tells us two things about this woman in verse 26. He tells us first who she was. And he says she was a Greek. It doesn't mean she was born in Greece. It means she spoke the Greek language. It's another way of saying she was a Gentile. He also tells us she was born in Syrian Phoenicia. That is the greater region around Tyre and to the north. And in Jesus' day, Syrian Phoenicia, like Tyre, was well known for its paganism and idolatry. Now last week, we talked about the tradition of the elders. That phrase is mentioned in the previous verses before our text. But, but what the tradition of the elders is, is this, this body of teaching that rose up around God's law over time in an effort to safeguard it, remember? And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they adhered to this tradition of the elders religiously, right? And it's this tradition that ultimately got them into trouble with Jesus or got Jesus into trouble with with them. But, But anyway, according to that tradition of the elders that sort of governed life in Israel at this time, this woman had a lot going against her, okay? In the first place, She was a woman, and according to the tradition of the elders, that's strike one. In the second place, she was a Greek, not a Jew. According to the tradition of the elders, that's strike two. In the third place, she was born in the less than desirable region of Syrian Phoenicia, that's strike three. According to the tradition of the elders, this woman is out, okay? This woman has a lot going against her. And there is absolutely no reason that any self-respecting rabbi in Jesus' day should give this woman a hearing, much less even tolerate being in her presence. Mark then tells us what she did. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Social categories go out the window when your children's well-being is at stake, don't they? She doesn't care. Her daughter's in need. She flings herself to the feet of Jesus. Now, to say the least, Jesus doesn't respond to her like we'd expect him to, does he? In fact, at first glance, his response seems cold and insensitive and even cruel. He says in verse 27, first, let the children eat all they want. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Jesus here sets before us an image that might be familiar in your house if you have a dog. We don't have a dog, and I'm fighting that fight yet. But um, if you have a dog, you get the image here, right? You're going to go home for dinner. The dogs are going to be on the floor with their tongues hanging out. You make a good meal. Right? You don't set it, you don't give it to the dog before you give it to, to the people sitting at the table. No, you give it to the people sitting at the table before you give it to the dog. Right? That's, that's how it works. And Jesus, he applies that image here to this situation. Now, this is certainly one of those difficult sayings of Jesus. Because even in his day, and especially in Israel, to call someone a dog was not a compliment. In the Old Testament, dogs are associated with something that is unclean or worthless. 
In Jesus' day, it was a term of reproach. In fact, in Philippians 3 verse 2, Paul calls those who do evil dogs, okay? So we, we can't really sugarcoat it. This, this really isn't, isn't a compliment by any means, but what's going on here? How should, we, how should we understand this? How should we make sense of this phrase? Some feminist scholars have said this is just your typical chauvinistic response, right? We know better than that. How should we understand it? Well, first off, we, we need to understand all of this in light of Scripture, okay? One of the keys primary keys of biblical interpretation is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And one thing Scripture makes very clear, right, is that Jesus was without sin. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, Paul says. Scripture's clear. Jesus knew no sin. He was perfectly righteous in every way. And so right off the bat, right off the bat, we know that Jesus did not speak these words with any sin in his heart. He's not like the, the, the brother who uh, calls his sister a dog, right, to, to be mean. No, there's no sin in Jesus' heart. We know that. Secondly, we, we need to consider these words in their literary context. In the passage before this one, we looked at it here last week, Jesus made it clear that nothing outside of a person can make him unclean, right? What a person eats cannot make him unclean. What a person touches cannot make him unclean, right? There are no such things as defiled objects. What defiles us comes from in here, in our hearts, not from out there in the world, right? That's the point of the previous story. And so now for Jesus to sort of ascribe a pharisaical category of uncleanness to this woman, that just doesn't really seem to follow, right? That doesn't make sense in light of the story before this one. In fact, Mark's purpose in following that story with this one is probably to show us that just as objects cannot defile us, neither can people defile us. Jesus in all this is wrecking those pharisaical categories. Third, we need to understand a a grammatical note here. Jesus does not use the normal Greek word for dog, The normal Greek word for dog is kion. That is the word that would have been used to describe a stray dog wandering on the streets of Jerusalem, eating out of your trash, uh, feasting uh, on the raccoon, you know, that's been dead alongside the road or something. Um, Jesus doesn't use that word. Instead, he uses the word canarion, which, which refers to a small dog. Or to a dog which, which might have been kept as a pet. And, and that is significant. He takes a little bit of the edge off of it here. And, and no doubt the concept of this dog actually being in the house is significant to the story. And the woman picks up on that and runs with it, doesn't she? The dog is in the house. She gets that. Uh, we need to understand this historically as well. Jesus' day, dog signified a distinction between Jew and Gentile. Okay, the Jews considered themselves children of God. If they were children of God, what were Gentiles? Well, Gentiles in their mind were were dogs. So the Jew-Gentile thing is at play here. And now we're getting into the real issue, uh, the real point of Jesus' words. And the real real issue, it's, it's theological, okay? Jesus here is making a theological point. And the issue is, to whom 
was Jesus sent? We see that in Matthew's telling of this story. Okay, in Matthew's telling of this story, before Jesus says this thing about the dogs, he says, Matthew 15, 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And then after saying that in Matthew, he says, first let the children eat all they want. And his point is, Jesus' point in all this is, my mission has a priority. Okay, my mission has a priority. My mission is first to the Jew. Of course, we read that in Scripture, don't we? Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Jesus is saying the exact same thing in this little parable here. Right Now, if you look closely, he does not shut the door on this woman, does he? No, he makes it clear that there is Something in reserve for the the dogs, as it were. There's something in reserve for for the Gentiles. But but first, the children must eat. First, the Jewish people get their chance. Okay, so the issue here, ultimately, is theological. It's about the primacy of God's covenant mercies. Now, I think the real question here is this. The real question here is this. Why is Jesus making it difficult for this woman? I think that's the, that's the real question. Why is he making it difficult for her? And no doubt the answer to that lies in the fact that Jesus, remember, he's not caught off guard in all of this. No, Jesus was ever and always in control, and Jesus always knew the hearts of those who came to him, didn't he? He knew the heart of the rich young ruler. He knew the heart of Zacchaeus. He knows the heart of this woman. And he answers her in such a way so as to expose what's in her heart and make her an example for the church down through the ages. I like what Charles Spurgeon says. I think he's right on, and we need to understand This little back and forth between Jesus and this woman this way. Spurgeon said, The Lord Jesus was charmed with the fair jewel of this woman's faith. And watching it and delighting in it, he resolved to turn it around and set it in other lights. That the various facets of this priceless diamond might each one flash in its brilliance and delight his soul. Right? He knows what's in this woman's heart, and he longs to bring it out so that it might delight him, so that it might instruct us, so that we might see who she really is. And this woman doesn't disappoint, does she? No. Much to Jesus' delight, certainly, she takes Jesus' words and she runs with them. She says, verse 28, yes, Lord. She doesn't disagree. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And look how Jesus responds, verse 29, for such a reply, he says to her, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Matthew tells us that Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. I don't think there's a higher compliment any one of us can bestow on another Christian 
than to say, great is your faith. That's the compliment Jesus pays to this woman. He says in Matthew's gospel, great is your faith. There's three aspects of this woman's faith that stand out in our text. I want to focus on these three aspects of her faith for the remainder of our time together this morning. And I want you to notice first and foremost her persistence towards Christ. This woman will not take no for an answer, will she? The Greek in verse 26b says she begged. It indicates that she, she kept begging. And the sense that Mark gives us there is that Jesus, he did not answer her right away. No, he actually put her off for, for some time. And, and, and Matthew tells us that Jesus did, in fact, put her off for some time. Matthew tells us that she came crying out to Jesus for her daughter, and Jesus did not answer her a word. But she kept begging. And then when he, when he finally does answer her, well, he, again, he makes it difficult for her. He speaks as he often does in a cryptic, parabolic fashion. He says, first let the children eat, for it's not right to take their bread and give it to the dogs. Now this woman, she could have said, that is incredibly rude, and turned around and gone her own way. Or, or she could have just been driven to despair and turned around rejected, but she didn't. No, she, she refused to take no for an answer. Even when Jesus seemingly tried to shut that door in her face, she kind of sticks her foot in it and says, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Even the dogs get something. She's persistent. And because of her persistence here, this, this woman has been called the, the female Jacob. You remember what happened to Jacob, don't you? God came to Jacob at night at the fort of Jabbok. And God wrestled with Jacob. It's one of the craziest stories in Scripture. God wrestled with Jacob all night. And day begins to break. And we're told that the man's not called God in the text. He's called the man, but we know it's God. We're told that God, God sees that he could not overpower Jacob. So he touches Jacob's hip so that it's wrenched. And he says, let me go for it's daybreak. And what does Jacob say? Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's this woman. <laughs> Jesus essentially says to her, let me go, woman. And she says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. She's also said to be the embodiment of, of the persistent widow in Luke 18. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable about a, a widow in a town who keeps coming with the, with the judge to the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And Jesus says, for some time the judge refused, but the widow, she kept coming. She would not leave the judge alone. And finally, the judge says, okay, woman, you're going to wear me out with your coming. I'll give you what you asked. I'll grant you justice. Of course, the crux of that story is that, that the judge neither feared God nor cared about men. But if he couldn't put off the persistent widow then certainly neither will God, who does care about men. That's the crux of the story. But friends, the point of all these stories is that this is the kind of faith 
God wants from us. He wants us to have the faith that at least when it comes to his mercy and his grace, we won't take no for an answer. He wants us to have the kind of faith that is persistent with him. He wants us to be the kind of people who say, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. He wants us to be the kind of people who, who, even when he seemingly shuts the door in our face, refuse to leave, but instead start hollering through the keyhole, saying, Lord, I will not go away. Lord, I will not stop crying out to you for help. Lord, I need you, and I'm not leaving until you bless me. This woman, she came to Christ. Why? Because her child was suffering. Her child was demon-possessed. Many of us this morning likewise carry around a burden for our children, right? For their health, maybe for their marriage, maybe for their spiritual well-being. Now, it's true that, that we don't know what God's will is in regards to these things, but we do know what God wants from us in regards to these things. Persistence. He wants us to keep coming, to keep asking, to keep crying out to him for them. He wants us to keep wrestling with him through these matters and all difficult matters, being determined not to let go until he blesses us. Some of you maybe have been crying out to God for a long time for one reason or another. You're ready to give up, ready to walk away. From the door that has seemingly been closed in your face, it's no use, you think. God has nothing for me here. Let this woman be an encouragement to you. Let her teach you about the value of persistence and of the delight God takes in our persistent faith towards Him. Second, I want you to notice her humility before Christ. I mentioned already how how. how Feminists have, have taken Jesus' words here and, and said, yeah, he's just demeaning this woman as men typically do. Certainly doesn't take any stretch of the imagination, does it, to, to think that if Jesus said these words to someone today, he would likely be sued for discrimination or defamation of character or something like that. But it is worth noting <laughs> That the woman to whom Jesus actually said this doesn't disagree. Instead, she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What you've said is true, Lord. She agrees with Jesus' assessment. She understands that from a spiritual perspective, she's, she's a dog, as it were. The Lord doesn't owe her anything. Before him, she has no privilege. You know, when I, when I read what the woman says in verse 28, I, I'm reminded of what the hymn writer said. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's this woman here. I'm reminded of what, of what Martin Luther said on his deathbed. Someone said, Brother Luther, are you willing to go to your grave standing on everything you've taught? And he said, yes, 
We are beggars. This is true. That's this woman. I'm reminded of what John Newton said at the end of his life. My memory's failing, but there's two things I know for sure. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. That's where this woman's at. This woman is incredibly humble. She knows better than anyone in the Gospel of Mark so far who she is before God. She understands that she has no claim on his mercy. She understands that Jesus owes her nothing. But she comes to Jesus anyway. And she pleads with Jesus, not on the basis of who she is, but on the basis of who he is. She understands that he is the compassionate and merciful one. And so she comes to him and she says, I'm coming to you as a dog because you are compassionate and you are merciful. And I believe that even though you came for Israel, you have so much grace and so much mercy in you that there's some even for me. Friends, we've got to get this through our head. We've got to get this through our head. I I encounter this thinking over and over again. And if I encounter it in you, I'm going to grab you by the shirt collar and I'm going to slam you against the wall. And I'm going to tell you how it is because this isn't right, okay? Okay? Someone said to me last week, a close friend of theirs, he just, he wasn't a Christian because he just, he doesn't think he's good enough for Jesus. He's not. He's not good enough for Jesus. You're not good enough for Jesus. I'm not good enough for you. This woman was not good enough for Jesus. The gospel is not be good enough for Jesus. The gospel is You're not good enough for Jesus, but Christ receives you as his own on the basis of his mercy and not on the basis of your goodness. This woman, she understood that. She got it. She was humble before the Lord Jesus. She cried out to him not on the basis of who she was or on the basis of what she did, but on the basis of who he was and is alone. And again, in holding this woman up before us, God is saying, this is what I want from you. This is what I want from you. I don't want you to come to me like one who's got it all together. I don't want you to come to me as one who does all the right things. I don't want you to come to me as one who thinks you have a claim on my grace because you were born into a Christian home and you were baptized and you've gone to Christian school and you've went to youth group and you did all the right things. No, I want you to come to me as a needy sinner who is completely dependent upon my mercy and my love and my grace for anything. the wonder of it all, right? The wonder of it all is that even as we come to God as dogs looking for crumbs, He doesn't treat us as dogs or content Himself with giving us only crumbs. No, He treats us as children and He gives us a seat at the table and He lavishes His grace upon us in abundance. That's certainly the case with this woman, right? Right here, on the spot, in an instant. In fact, the way the Greek is written, it indicates that Jesus did this before he even said it, maybe before she even came to him. 
Jesus gives her what, he want, what she wanted, everything she wanted. He says, the demon has left your daughter. Go home. And she goes home. She sees for itself that it's so. Turns out this dog is no second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. No, she's a child of God's. She's blessed by Christ. That, that this is how it works. We come as dogs, God treats us as children. We come as beggars, he treats us like kings. We come as sinners, he calls us saints. That's how it, that's how it works. Finally, notice this woman's trust in Christ. I mean, it's, it's her trust that ties this all together. Without trust, none of, this, none of this other stuff we've talked about happens. She trusts in his power and ability to do for her daughter what no one else can do. That's why she comes to him in the first place. Isn't that why we come to Christ in the first place? We're overwhelmed by our sin. We realize that we have a deep-seated problem that we can do nothing about. But that Jesus, Jesus can make us clean. She trusts in his power to do what no one else can do. She trusts in Christ's mercy. That's why even after Jesus refuses to answer her for some time, even after he gives her this, this remark about the dogs, she will not go away. That's why she sticks her foot in the door. <laughs> because she trusts in Christ's mercy. She knows that he delights to show mercy. As we read at the end of Micah. And this woman, she, she trusts in Christ's word too, doesn't she? Imagine that you are her. This is your daughter. You come to Jesus. Jesus says, your daughter's healed. The demon's left her. You may go home. You know how I'd answer? Can you come with me? Just to, just to make sure that's the case. Not this woman. She trusts Christ's word. She goes home. And once again, friends, our Lord is saying to us this morning, this is what I want from you, people of God. This is what I want from you. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust in my power to do for you what nothing else can do. I want you to, I want you to trust in my mercy. And I want you to come to me on the basis of my mercy and my grace. And I want you to walk with me, and I want you to live in a relationship with me, and I want you to be persistent in crying out to me on the basis of my mercy and grace. And our Lord is saying, I want you to trust in my word like the woman did. Jesus said it. She believed it. That settled it. Likewise, we're to be people who trust in God's word, who hold on to his promises, who heed his warnings, who follow his directions. So this morning we, we, we meet someone, don't we, of, of remarkable faith. And in holding up this Syrophoenician woman before our eyes today, God is saying, do you see her? Do you see her? Do you see her faith? Do you see how she persisted with the Lord Jesus? Do you see how she was humble before the Lord Jesus? Do you see how she trusted the Lord Jesus? This is what I want from you. This is the kind of faith I delight in. This is the kind of faith our Lord says is great. Of course, even as our Lord holds this woman up before us this morning, we cannot forget, we cannot forget that we live on the other side of the cross from her. 
And therefore, we have all the more reason to be persistent with Christ because, come on, how could we not be persistent with the one who went all the way to death for us? How can we not persist with one like that? Certainly, he will not leave us hanging out to dry now. And we have all the more reason to be, to be humble before Christ, don't we? Because how can you not be humble in the presence of one who paid your debt? You don't live in a proud, self-reliant way in the presence of one who paid your debt. Jesus paid our debt. And we have all the more reason to trust Christ, don't we? Because not only has he died for us, but he's risen again for us. And he's ascended into heaven for us, and he's taken his seat at the right hand of God. And even now, even as you sit here this morning, he's directing all of history to its appointed end. For the believer's good and for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for people like the Syrophoenician woman who displayed remarkable faith. We thank you for showing her to us and for saying just the right things to bring out her faith and enable us to see it in all its beauty. Father, we pray that you would say and do just the right things in our lives, that our faith too might be seen for what it is by your grace. This we ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing our song of response, which will be, My Jesus, I Love Thee.
fellowship. Receive the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen.